Welcome. This is Karen Motokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. I believe there are many ways to live life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, even you. Not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, now maybe you can see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow They have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really, ask yourself that. Welcome to How She Really Does It, a place where inspiration and possibility meet. How does one go from being a lawyer to sharing his Disney passion with others and making a real living doing this? Lou Mangelo is a widely recognized World Disney, Walt Disney World author, expert, host, speaker, and historian. He is the host and producer of the award-winning WDW radio show, He's the author of Walt Disney World Trivia Books and also the author of Audio Tours of Walt Disney World. Lou, hello and welcome to my show. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here. <laughs> so Lou, how do you go from being a lawyer on the East Coast, not even in, in, in Florida, to all of that that I just listed off? <laughs> yeah, it was all part of the grand plan, right? I'm going to go to three years of law school. I'm going to clerk for a judge. I'm going to practice for 10 years. But really, I was just working my way down to... <laughs> Oh, no. Hello. Which is uh, sort of right behind the Magic Kingdom where I live. And <clears throat> go back to 2003. I was a lawyer in New Jersey. I had an IT consulting company because obviously I just don't enjoy sleep. <laughs> um, and I think because I was always in a service business, I, I watched one too many infomercials at the middle of the night. And I said, I want to make something once. I want to resell it. Right. So the idea of a book came to be and I didn't know enough about the law. I wasn't smart enough to write about computers. And all I really knew about was Walt Disney World. Uh, I've been going since November of 71, excuse me, a month after the park opened and would go multiple times a year. Had a lot of useless knowledge about Disney rolling around in my head. So (laughs) the challenge for me personally was, can I write a book and can I get it published, right? It's 2003, vanity and and online publishing and self-publishing really hasn't um, hit its stride yet. I said, can I write something that I want to read that I, the book that I want to read, and can I be validated by getting the book published? So I went out, I learned everything I could about the book publishing history, I found a, um, a publisher, I signed a three-book deal, and when I saw the book on the shelf at Barnes & Noble, if you remember those old brick-and-mortar mm-hmm. bookstores and Amazon.com, I thought that was it. I thought that was the end game. Um, I made my mom proud. Uh, 
And I saw this, this little two-page website that I have begin to grow into articles, which is what we called blog posts back in 2004, and a community. <laughs> and when I had – I sort of had a discussion forum uh, online because there was a lot of interaction going on back and forth via email. I started an old V-Bulletin discussion forum. And when there were 29 people who signed up like in that first week, I was like, this is so cool. There's 29 other dorks <laughs> in their basement that love Disney as much as I do. Like I am not the only one, right? It was like a little mini Star Trek convention. And that 29 people – and I'm a Trekker too, so it's okay. Uh, those 29 people quickly grew really exponentially. And I said, you know, there, there's something here. There's, there's this huge community out here uh, that really wants to come together and, and share a common interest and passion when I saw podcasting coming down the pike in 2005, uh, I realized that the spoken word is so much more powerful than anything that you could write, although I thought, who's going to find me? Who's going to listen? Very, very long answer to a short question was, fast forward a couple years, um, the show turns into additional products, live events, videos, um, and sort of grows exponentially. I'm commuting back and forth to Florida, and eventually uh, I left the practice. I sold my IT consulting company, and I moved to Florida to do, to do this full-time, which I've been doing since about 2008. Okay. I want to go back. I think you made something that's important, and I, for those that are entrepreneurs or thinking that they want to go and you know build something, build a community, build you – know, there's so much stuff about being a solopreneur now. But then they'll go, well, you, know, you look at some of the, the – big people out there and, and you look at their list and you go, wow, that, that can never be me, right? But one thing I, I noticed is that you were so excited when you had 29 people mm -hmm. sign up. And do you think that helped your mindset as you continued on this journey to, to build what you've built to this day? Absolutely. Because you really only need one, right? You need just that one person to get started. It, it's not it, – there's a, a quote by Randy Pausch um, who you may know from the, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the last lecture uh, who says, you know, it's not the size of your audience. It's the fact that they're listening, or which I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But those 29 people were so incredibly targeted, so hungry for content, so engaged that it really does form – that cornerstone and that foundation and you build this community. I, I've always talked about forum members and listeners as part of my extended family. And when you treat them that way, because they look at you as their friend, because they hear you, they read you, they, they feel connected to you, uh, you do to use that, that sort of the buzzword of the tribe, that tribe begins to grow and it grows exponentially as people, you, you turn your friend, your fans into friends and those friends become very loyal evangelists for you. Um, and they will help sort of bring more people to the tribe. And that, and that is so cool. And I, and if anything, I hope that's a takeaway for my listeners out there is never discount the numbers, whatever you're building, whatever the community is, because you're building it. And the thing that comes to mind is um, I had interviewed a number of years ago, Warren Buffett's uh, biographer, and she called it, you know, his increase, the wealth that he created, it was the snowball effect. And when I hear you talk about, you know, you were the 29 people and then that created a snowball effect, but in sunny Florida. <laughs> Never, ever say, I only have this. I only have this many listeners. I only have this many page views. Don't ever sell yourself short like that because those people, if they are engaged and they are targeted and they are loyal to you, can do amazing things. Mm -hmm. so, so when you first started out with the podcast, did you have a really targeted vision did you have your like niche very well defined? 
So I laughed to myself when you said targeted vision as if I sat down and I wrote out a business plan. I'm like, of course I did. I knew exactly where I was going. Um, yeah, it was basically, let me plug in a mic and let me figure out how do I hand code an RSS feed and how do I explain to people how to find it? Because remember, this is sort of, I've been podcasting since 2005, so it was like before it was on, in iTunes. and it, uh, So the honest answer, uh, which is always what you're going to get, is I had no idea what I was doing, right? Mm -hmm. I had no idea what I was doing, but I wanted to explore this new technology because I, I saw the potential in it, um, never, ever expecting for people, like I said, for people to find me or I said, who's going to listen to me drone on about Disney World week after week? <laughs> but they did. But don't laugh. <laughs> they did. And because they were really hungry for that content, right? There was no way for them to have this connection to the Disney type experience in, the, in this way. So it was very new for them. It was a great sort of passive experience that they can, they didn't have to read, sit at their desk and read a blog post. They could listen in their car, listen on the treadmill, listen at work, wherever it may be. Uh, and I was very surprised that same thing happened when I got my first email and I'm like, wow, like somebody else other than my mom. And actually she wasn't <laughs> listening because she didn't even know how to find a podcast, but somebody's actually listening and they're not just listening, but they're taking the time to email me. Like mm -hmm. that spoke volumes to me. Yeah. It's really nice when you get those emails, isn't it? Uh -oh. Yeah, the, 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 because what we do is so much a one-way conversation. Mm -hmm. So to get that immediate feedback via email or a text chat or whatever it may be is very, very rewarding. <laughs> so today um, I was thinking about that and I was thinking about um, Oprah and how when she was in, when she had first started whatever it was, the AM Chicago, but there wasn't an audience and she started bribing people to come in to her, her studio with donuts because she wanted to have that feedback. And, and I think about, that's how I think about my listeners who send me emails because I realize like you, they're going out of their way to send me something, right? To make a comment, to send me something, to thank me or whatever it may be. And that's the kind of the feedback that I have, which I wouldn't have normally like Oprah would and why she had a studio audience for so for, you know, most of her career. And she, she always bribed people to come. She's like, but she just started giving away free cars and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that instead. <laughs> Exactly. But in, again, a lot of times, you know, I'm doing this kind of in the dark, I, especially when I'm in the radio station and I like to have the windows closed and I have only just a little small lamp. I, it's it's me and the person I'm having the interview with and I'm all by myself. So you don't really know anything until you get that feedback back. You it, That at least for me, I don't know. Yeah, <clears throat> very much so. And because, you know, you sort of broadcast that message out there and then it's like, Crickets chirping, right? You're waiting to see, is anybody listening? Now with Twitter, it's different. When we do see that sort of instantaneous almost feedback to the messages we put out there. But what I did and, and part of how I, I wanted to uh, grow what I was doing was I very much believe that you could friend me on Facebook, you could follow me, and I hate that word on Twitter, um, but nothing beats a handshake and a hug, right? Mm -hmm. So I've been doing meets of the month in Walt Disney World since 2008. So I'm down there every month anyway. I said, let's get together. We'll get together in the park, at a restaurant, in downtown Disney, whatever it may be. So you get that one-on-one -on -one very personal connection. And then as I started to do live broadcasts, the same thing happened. When, I, when Ustream first started out, like in, I guess it was 2007 or eight, and I'm in my basement in Scotch Plains, New Jersey, and I said, I told my wife, I'm gonna turn on this webcam for like 10 minutes. Nobody's gonna watch. I'll be up. Eight hours later, she comes downstairs. She goes, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. There's these crazy people are watching this crazy person <laughs> sit in his basement, talk to himself. 
And she just shook her head as she often did and just went back upstairs as supportive as she was. But now I live broadcast every week. And it's, again, that next step in the evolution of the interactive experience, right? Because now they don't just hear you, they see you. Mm -hmm. It's live and they're in the text chat. So they're very much a vested, engaged part of what's going on. And when you're able to respond literally immediately to a question or a comment in the chat room or you call somebody's name out, it's very rewarding to them on a lot of different levels. And I think that level of continuing engagement and immediate response is, uh, is another great way to sort of build community and build relationships. So have you always been good at building relationships and building communities? I didn't date very much in high school, so I'm going to say no. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, it was never a sort of a conscious thing, right? It was one of the, it was that, huh, there's 29 people out there. And then when that 29 people became 30,000 on the forums, I said, we have a community here. Like there's something going on here. And I've watched that grow. And honestly, I, I don't take credit for that. I, I, the credit goes to the people who are in the community mm -hmm. that have built it, right? I sort of made the clubhouse. They all came and contributed to it and were a very interested, vested part of it. They wanted to see the clubhouse grow. They wanted to see it succeed. And I still see that happening now. So even with the live broadcast, for example, they sort of, they sort of gave this little community that, that tunes in every week on a Wednesday night, so there must be nothing on TV. They tune in every Wednesday night and they call themselves the box people because they live in this little box. At the time it was my basement, but they live in this little box on my desk and we have this very sort of, and they created a logo and they have t-shirts and they do, the, and it's a fascinating sort of sociological experiment to watch that happen. But people want, whether they know it or not, they want to be part of a community, right? They want to be part of something because mm -hmm. that same guy that felt like, Am I the only guy sitting in his basement when he realizes that he's not? It's like, hey, I I'm a part of something. I'm mm. a part of this group, this tribe, this community, whatever it may be. And I'm not crazy, relatively speaking. So. <laughs> well, it sounds like it's a way for people to belong. It's a place for people to belong. Yeah, absolutely. Right? People want to belong to something mm -hmm. and help. And they want to. And by, what I said, by turning those fans to friends to followers to evangelists they want to help see it succeed too they don't want to see the clubhouse shut down mm -hmm. uh, that is very cool um so do you get overwhelmed by having such a broad base of people um overwhelmed almost has a, a negative connotation to it the only mm -hmm. thing i'd say about overwhelm is we, we all fight the same battle with things like email right so <laughs> Inbox zero, man, I was close. Like once, I was close. Um, but I very much feel exactly what you said before. If somebody's going to take the time to send me an email, a comment, a question, I am going to answer that personally. I may not get to it right away, right? I'm a little behind. <laughs> but if somebody's going to take the time, I'm at least going to give them the, the courtesy of a personal response. Everybody says, get a VA to go through your emails or use canned responses or text. I refuse to do it. I refuse to do it, and I will stay up till ungodly hours of the night, loaded up on you know Dunkin' Donuts coffee, to make sure I can get through as many as I can because it's that important to me. It's that important to me that I write back personally. Well, and they probably feel I know, um, you know, they probably feel really good when you write back. It's like, wow, I mattered. <laughs> I'm like, well, who do you think's going to answer it back? They're like, oh, you? I thought it was going to be like your assistant. I'm like, oh yes, my team of assistants I have sitting. <laughs> You know, Ladies, like I need more grapes, please. 
<laughs> now, I get that when I do answer. And sometimes, you know, it, by the luck of the draw, it might be really quick if if I'm sitting at the computer and, and I'm kind of, you know, especially in the evenings, twittering away or whatever I'm doing. But And sometimes it can sit in my inbox, unfortunately, for a long time. But I do, I think about the people that send me emails a lot. And I think about them. I think about things that they shared. I think about them to the point where I go, ooh, who could I bring on as a guest that can maybe help that problem? You know, give them information, give them nuggets to maybe open up their mindset. Right. And think about, you know, you are, and we all do on different levels, we're impacting these people's lives. That's still something I have a tough time wrapping my head around. But you do, right? Whether you're helping them become inspired, change the career path, pursue their passion, whatever it may be. So when you do that, yeah, you do need to sort of write back to them and and let them know because you have made such a difference that they're going to take the time to write you an email and let you know. And then how, so, you know, the the name of the show is how she really does it, but I want to know, how do you really do it? A lot of smoke and mirrors, man. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because you've got a lot of stuff going on besides the radio show that you do. And you've got, I I, I can't even keep track. So why don't you let us know? (laughs) So if I was to go through what, um, some of the stuff I do. So I do the, uh, I do an audio recorded audio podcast Every week comes out Sunday nights, well, sometimes Monday morning. I also do the live video broadcast on Wednesdays. I try and release a video also, you know, a YouTube video uh, and on the blog once a week as well too. Again, because that video uh, connection is a very different type of thing. You can communicate so much more visually. Mm-hmm. I also have, um, I have one free app that's out. I have a few other apps in development. I have a third trivia book and a couple of other projects on the way. Um, I'm continuing on my audio walking tour series of the parks where I sort of um, make you feel as though I'm sort of not literally holding your hand. But if that's your thing, I'll hold your hand and walk you through <laughs> the parks, uh, all sort of ambient sound behind you to really sort of make you feel as though you're uh, walking with me. And we talk about the history and the details and the overlooked experiences. Really great way to get that kind of connection because people can't get down to Disney as often as they like. Mm-hmm. Um, do a lot of live events, sort of taking the show literally on the road. So we do group trips to uh, Hawaii, to Disney Resort in Hawaii. We do a group cruise every year on the Disney Dream, this year on the Disney Fantasy. So last year we had 500 people come together on the Disney Dream for the second year in a row for an amazing time. You talk about a sense of community. Um, that was really a, a, a testament to that community all those people getting together. So I was not kidding when I said I don't sleep very much. Um, I work harder now than I ever did as a lawyer, but I don't work a day in my life. Every day feels like Christmas to me because I honestly, I love what I do. And I am so grateful to the fact that anybody will take the time to listen. So uh, I love always sort of um, not just worrying about what I need to get done every week, but sort of what's next and mm-hmm. what, what else is coming down the pipeline. So uh, that fires me up. It really fuels my passion every day. And do your kids think you have the best job in the world? <laughs> I try and explain to my kids sometimes because I work out of the house and it's great because I pick them up from school every day and we hang out and we do 11 hours worth of homework or whatever third graders are getting now. <laughs> I kid you not. Um, but I say, you know, if daddy had a real job, um, I'd be in my law office till 830 at night. I'd come home. I'd be bringing files. I'd be at work on the weekends. I'd be crazy and stressed out and wearing, you know, awful suits here in Florida. So they think right now, because they're seven and nine, I think that they feel what I do is pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they see me on TV sometimes. They see me doing all these kind of different things. I travel. We go to great places and, and we live right behind Disney World. 
I'm just praying. I pray that when my daughter's 13, she's like, oh, dad, you are such a loser with it. Because she's on the cover of my second book. And right now it's awesome. But in a few years, it might not to be cool. So I'm trying to keep it like fresh and be like, oh, look how cool this is. So I think they get it. I, I think they get it. And I, and I know we're all much, I am and my family is much happier um, with me doing this than me being a lawyer. Mm-hmm. I'm a recovering attorney, as I like to say. <laughs> well, my experience with raising kids, and I've been doing it for about 20 years, but uh, is that we just kind of we own our freak flag and we just wear it proud. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and, and and my kids, all of them, and my my husband has a daughter who's 22. I think what year is this? Oh, she's 23. And um, you know, she, it, she just when he when she was going through high school, and most kids would like kind of be afraid of their parents or embarrassed by their parents. She's like, that's just my dad. <laughs> Yep. Right. That's just my dad. So, yeah, I just say, wear your freak flag and wear it proud. Right. Embrace it. <laughs> yeah. There you it. go. Is, you know, they understand that when we go to the parks, it's, it's a different type of experience and, and all that kind of stuff. But but they love it. So and my my listen, I have to say this, too. Uh, I would not be here were it not for my family being so incredibly supportive uh, from day one. You know, when I went upstairs and I said, you know, as my wife was in the den watching TV, I said, you know, I got this idea. I'm thinking about writing a book. And she says, well, all you know about is Disney World. <laughs> I said, well, yeah, that's it. I went down the basement and literally and figuratively have not left ever since. But um, incredibly supportive when I'm like, all right, listen, by the way, let's, you know, pack up the house and we're going to move to Florida. We Neither of us have jobs, but we're going to make this work. And she's like, let's do it. Let's go. So it was the best thing we ever did. So, so how do you do that? Tell me about the mindset that you had to be able to just pack up and leave and go start something that was really kind of unheard of, even so though you I, had it going, you did yeah, have it already going. Right. I, so I, I, things were going, I was traveling back and forth to Orlando a lot, um, a couple of times a month from New Jersey, which I'll let you know, not the cheapest thing in the world to do. Um, mm-hmm. I am not employed by Disney. I'm not paid by Disney. I have no discounts on food or park tickets or airfare or hotels or anything else like that. Uh, everything comes out of my own pocket. So it, it, it was becoming uh, expensive to the point of just, and time consuming, right? You know, I'm gone for days um, on end. And I said to myself, you know, if I'm going to do this, if we're going to do this, I need to be in Orlando. And I'm not going to kid anybody by saying that it's not a really scary thing to say, okay, we're going to sell the house that we thought was going to be our forever house. And I say this next point only to to illustrate the leap of faith. I brought money to my closing because I bought high and I sold at the lowest Uh time ever. Um, It's a very calculated, but it's a very scary sort of leap of faith. But you need to do that, right? We all sort of have these ideas and have these dreams, but I think a lot of them cannot come true unless you're willing to take that step and make that sacrifice. We're like, all right, are we prepared for the sacrifices that we're going to need to make in order to do this. And you have to do it collectively. You know, if you, if you aren't, aren't all on board, that, that ship can sink, uh, I think, very, very quickly. Um, I will tell you that before I left New Jersey to come down here, uh, I did, I, I had gotten out of the practice of law. I'd sold my IT consulting business and I was a chief technology officer at a medical imaging facility. Um, and I gave my notice and I'm like, look, I have to leave. This is what I need to do. But what I can tell you that when I did go down my basement uh, on that Monday morning for the first time in my pajamas and I wasn't going to work, I went, oh, my God, what did I just do? <laughs> what, <laughs> what, am I, what was I thinking? <laughs> can I call them back? And, but, you know, you're going to have a lot of those scary moments. And in this age now, especially now in 2013 with entrepreneurship being so hot and, and solopreneurship being so hot, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I want – 
people need to understand like that feeling that you feel, that fear that you have is not unique to you. I've been there. I feel it every day because this is your show now, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to make sure this, this ship continues to sail. So, and that, I think that little bit of fear is good. It keeps you motivated. It keeps you driven. Um, so it, it is very much a scary thing. I think you need to take a leap of faith, but you need to have that parachute ready. You need to sort of say, say okay, I'm not going to put my family at risk by doing what I'm going to do. I can make sure they eat at least once or twice a week. So, <laughs> so I wanted, I'm glad you brought up those scary moments because I do think there's that, oh, you know, leap and it will all work out or follow your passions, then the money will follow. And, but people forget to talk about those scary moments. And I, I know what you're saying because I left a tenured job. Um, I was a tenured college professor and I left. And, and that was quite an awakening because I wasn't prepared for that, that walking down the basement in my pajamas going, holy moly, what did I just do? Yeah. I didn't know that that was going to be there. Yeah. And when you have, especially, <clears throat> excuse me, if you have a family and especially if you have kids, mm-hmm. I think that really changes the game a lot because your responsibility is, look, if you're, you know, a younger person and it's just you, you could take a little bit more risk, I think, sometimes. When it's your family and all of a sudden there's no check coming in mm-hmm. and there's no health benefits, mm-hmm. you're like, whoa. Like, you know, you need to sort of be prepared for that. You need to be prepared for all those things to make sure you can not only feed your family, but for that little bit of fear too. And I think that's why things like this, what you're doing with your show, are, are really helpful so people understand that they're not alone feeling that way. Um mm-hmm. It is natural. It's expected um, because it is a scary thing. But you're right. You, you hit the nail on the head by, you know, do what you love. You know, follow your passion intensely. Like just you need to hustle and crush it like you've never done before every single day. And the money will come. The money will – it's not going to maybe happen the day one, but the money will eventually come. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I love how you said you have to hustle and crush it. I think that's different than sometimes some of the messages solo entrepreneurs are getting about, oh, well, just, you know, you don't, you know, you don't have to work hard, just put in some times. And like you, I work more now than I did when I had my, you know, full-time benefits, pension job. But I love it. I love right. what I do. I mean, it's because it, a lot of it's me wanting, uh, thinking I get more ideas. I'm like, I get creative. What else can I do? You know, things expand. I mean, technology's changing, right? And so it's it's driven by my inner desires versus, oh, I'm supposed to do this. Or I had this meeting I have to go sit through, right? It's the, it's the fact that my creativity is, there's so much fuel in there. And that's why, um, and I want to provide value for people and I want to help people. And so my, my, my days are really long, but I'm not as tired at the end of the day. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but there's, there's no feeling quite like, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you're sleeping or you're laying in bed or you're doing it and you get an idea and it, it ignites a spark <laughs> and you run inside and I'm like trying to, trying to like brain dump into Evernote, hoping that it makes <laughs> sense the next morning. But you get that idea and, and you want to just like chase it immediately. And you're like, oh, come on, it's Sunday. How come nobody else is working today? Um, <laughs> But I love that feeling. Like, I love the feeling of getting a new idea and not having to worry about, I need to write a proposal and bring it to my boss and get it approved for budget. You just go do it. Like, you mm-hmm. do it and you try new things. And if it doesn't work, so what? Like, you, you try something else. Uh, not every time you get up at bat, you're going to hit a home run. But the, um, the adventure of, of going out and doing it is, is such a thrill for me. So it sounds like to me, Lou, that you have a pretty agile mind. 
if you ask my mother, she might say something completely different. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, I'm always thinking. I'm always uh -huh. thinking. Uh, I, I try and sort of break myself out of work mode sometimes, but it's hard to do. Because um, even if I'm like, okay, I'm just going to take my kids to Disney World with my wife and we're going to just have a family day, the mind is always going, right? Uh -huh. Or if I'm at dinner or wherever it may be. But I think that's part of the entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I think that's what makes entrepreneurs become entrepreneurs, right? It is always having your mind going, Always thinking, not necessarily in the moment, but what's next, right? What, what am I, what's the next thing I'm going to do? What's going to separate me from the pack? Not that you should be worried about what, what the pack is doing, but what's going to make, for me, my job and what I hope to do with the stuff I do is very simple. I want to put a smile on people's faces, mm -hmm. right? If my show, if a podcast, if a book, whatever it is, if it makes somebody happy, if it lets them escape the sort of the mundane everyday work thing for them, I've done my job. Like that is the goal for me. So that's always what I'm thinking. What can I do to, to uh, continue to, to, to provide that to people? And uh, no, and I think that's a great, I mean, wow, what a great way to live a life, right? Versus just kind of going through the grind. I remember I used to be like, oh, I'm 29 years old. This is what I'm going to be doing for the next 40 years of my life. <laughs> and and I, I And I mean, and I want this to come out the right way, like, I feel bad for people who are like that, right? People mm -hmm. like, oh, God, I'm going to work again. I hate Mondays. I hate this job. But I can't wait to go home and work on X, mm -hmm. right? Now more than ever, like, you have such a golden opportunity to take whatever X is, mm -hmm. right? I don't care how obscure it may be. There's a community of other people that like what it is. You can take that and and have a voice literally or figuratively, whether it's blogging, podcasting, videos, whatever. It's so easy now. And there are so many different opportunities to turn that into a business. I'm not saying to quit your job tomorrow, mm -hmm. but you may be able, if you have that drive, if you have that passion, if you've got that fire and, and that willingness to sacrifice, you can turn that into a business that you might eventually be able to do full time. And there's many of us out there who are examples of that. And I, and why, and when I give presentations, I, I want people to sort of make the connection. I was very much in their seat. Right. I was mm -hmm. I go to the conferences. I was trying to figure out how do I do this? How do I make this leap? Because I don't want to I don't want to argue every day. I don't want to be a lawyer and fight with people every single day. That's not who I am mm -hmm. um, to say that now I get to talk about Disney World every day. That that's a much better life. And I want other people to, to feel that same way as I do, because life is too short. Why did you become a lawyer? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going through the book. I'm like, eh, no. um, my um. My father was a lawyer, and he was my hero. He was my inspiration. But I'll tell you this. They lied to me, right? TV and the movies <laughs> lied to me. Al Pacino, it's not like Injustice for All. It, look, I used to watch L.A. Law. Um, where's the Ferraris, right? Where's the girls? Where's the front? That's not it. It is not like that at all. So you got – I wanted to be a lawyer. I still believe it's a noble profession. I wanted to help people, right? I want people to be able to come to me. And me be able to help them with whatever it may be within limits. Um, like I didn't do criminal stuff. I didn't like doing family stuff. It was just too emotional and I wanted to be able to sleep at night. Um, and I did and I felt like I was doing good but I wasn't passionate about it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I liked my job. Um, I, did not, I didn't necessarily like every other lawyer. <laughs> but, um, you know, I see why people sometimes have the opinion of lawyers that they do. But um, 
it, it's, it wasn't something that I'm like, God, is this where I want to be for the next 40 years? Like just getting up every day to fight, mm-hmm. you know, I, that, that's, that's not who I am. It's not in my DNA. Um, and I, I was blessed to be able to realize and, and just the timing being what it was with the internet, with the, um, uh, podcasting and blogging and all these different things and realizing that there was a, a huge opportunity there. Um, if you, t- if you take it, um, to, to do something and share it. And again, I, I was, I, I don't consider myself the smartest guy in the world. I did not have the grand plan. I never set out to be like, I'm going to be a podcaster for a full-time <laughs> job. Um, come on, honey. I've got the roadmap. This is exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> It was a lot of luck. Um, it was a lot of, of um, fortunate happenstances. And again, I attribute it to the community of people that allow me to do this. I, it's a, it is, I'm blessed to be able to do this every day, and I am grateful beyond words. Well, and it also sounds like just looking at the history of your work, you weren't just a lawyer, right? You, you did the technical app. What was it? Um, you were the tech. Yeah, so I had a, I had a small business IT consulting That's company. Right. Because, uh, again, in the late 90s, my, my feeling was as a small business owner uh, in our firm and people are starting to – and, God, this is going to make me sound so old. But people were literally just starting to network their offices, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was a big deal. And I always felt like, look, you, your job is – you know, you're in the business of selling hardware or making widgets, whatever. You shouldn't be worrying about networking your office. Who's going to fix the printer? How do I get on the internet? How do I get email set up? I wanted to be sort of the one-stop shop for people to call. I would go in or bring people in, and I wanted to be sort of their one person to say, I need a network, I need a website, I need all these different things. Um, I love doing that. It was a little odd when I was juggling two careers at the same time because I'd be – I literally could be in federal court in the morning, and I would have to run to an IT com- uh, client <laughs> in the <laughs> afternoon. I'd be in my suit on the ground pulling cable to go from the server rack to the wiring closet to – uh, and then I'd go home at night and I'd do web development till like two o'clock in the morning. So uh, I eventually sold that business and I got out of the practice of law. Um, again, very much with the support of my family. I practiced law with my dad and uh, I became the, the chief technology officer for a medical imaging company um, that we had owned. So uh, it, it has been a very strange, circuitous route, but all those, everyone's like, oh, don't you regret spending all that time and money going to law school and, and learning all the IT stuff and getting all your certifications? And now you're like talking about Disney World? (laughs) No, because they're all building blocks, right? They all are foundations to things that, believe it or not, come into play in my daily life, in my business life all the time. So I don't regret any of the choices that I made. That path eventually led me here. Uh, Strange as it may seem, um, you know, it's helped me live a very rich life too. And I've gotten a lot of experience in a lot of different things. Thank you for that, because my listeners sometimes will say, but, you know, I feel like I've put in all this time already here and it would be a waste in the way I look at it. Because when I was doing my own path and I jumped onto this whole radio thing, I couldn't figure out why I was doing radio because I was never, never liked to listen to talking heads, never liked to talk to radio. I listened a little bit in sports with my husband when we were going down to get our master's degree and, um, and we would drive down there to San Francisco. But outside of that, I didn't listen to talk radio. That wasn't what I did. I was always a visual person. So when I jumped into this whole radio thing, I thought, what What am I doing? You know, this doesn't make, it did not make any sense for me, except that I just had this compelling need to get some answers, right? And so the best way for me to do it was to have a show <laughs> to ask people. <laughs> and that's what happened. And then what's evolved from that has been pretty, pretty incredible. But 
and it makes a lot more sense now, but everything that I did prior to that, it's all intertwined and it's all very much, it was like you said, the building blocks. I don't look at anything I did as a waste. Right. Everything you learned along the way, mm -hmm. you may not be able to sort of quantify how it does, but it helps you, right? Me being a lawyer mm -hmm. helps me in business, in negotiation, in whatever it may be. The technical aspect certainly gave me a heads up and a leg up when I was trying to figure out the code to create an RSS feed <laughs> for a podcast, you know, which I still code by hand practically because um, I'm just used to doing it that way for eight years. Um, so all those things definitely play into it. But you're right. I think it, what happens is you're, you're going down, you know, you're sort of following what you think is your path and then something maybe ignites a spark in you or burns in you. So for you it was, well, I want the answers to these questions. Right. For me, it was I wanted to write the book I wanted to read. There was no trivia <laughs> book about Disney World. So I just went out and wrote it. So you were your own target audience. I was it. I was <laughs> it. And I think you have to be right. You have to put yourself not don't look at you. You have to sort of think of your think of your audience. Put yourself in the seat of your audience. Right. When you think about what you're going to deliver to them in terms of content. What would you want to hear? Right? What would you want to hear? What do you want to hear? So I talk about the things that that interest me about Disney World. Well, so usually, you know, and I think that you have to because especially in talk radio, yes, you, you, you can't fake the passion, right? If you're not interested in the subject, man, they're going to know it. They're going to tell that you're sort of just going through the motions. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, when I think about my show, I was looking for a show like my show and they didn't have it because I actually, <laughs> that's how the show came about. I had suggested to our executive director of our radio station, I said, you know, you really should have a show about this. How do w women do it? Because I think I'm just messing up. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, well, you should pitch it. I'm like, what do you mean I should pitch it? And six months later, she ran into me again and said, yeah, you should pitch that. We're waiting for it. Yeah. So I, mm. you created a book. I just realized I created a show because I was looking for answers. <laughs> and sometimes that's what it takes. You know, I mean, look, look at how many great inventions come from people that have their own problems that they're trying to solve mm -hmm. and they make this little thing, they, they fix something at home. And I was like, like, wait a minute, like other people like this too. And, and I think the same thing is sort of happening here. You sort of think about the thing that you love and you're interested in and you're passionate about or a problem that you need solved. And I guarantee there are other people that have that same issue, that same question, that same problem. Oh, that's, but, but doesn't that kind of go against the, the, uh, the business advice that's out there? about you need to test beyond just yourself, <laughs> even though you and I both did that. But we neither of us had business plans either. So. No. Listen, this was 2003 for me. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I mean, like I said, it was a goof, right? My, mm -hmm. my, the end game for me was when, I'll never forget when I saw it on Amazon.com and I printed it out and I was like, woo, look at me. And then, you know, I went to the bookstore and there was my book. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's it. Like, I'm done. I, and I, I swear to you, I thought that was the end of it. Um, but, well, and, but I think, you know, cause, and I don't know, maybe it's part of my learning process, but for me, the more I need to do, I can't sit around and, um, plan really far ahead. I kind of know. And like I said, the show has really evolved over the six years. Um, what I thought it was going to be and what it is, is very different. The opportunities I've gotten, I would never have, you know, thought was possible. And I'm sure that's been the same for you. Um, but I, I, I didn't, I didn't, couldn't foresee a lot of this stuff. And I had to, I guess I learned by doing 
And so like really understanding who my target is, what, what my purpose is, what I'm doing. You know, when I first started, it was, I just had some questions, you know, and as I've gone through this, I really understand and it makes sense. This is who I've always been. It's about how can I help others? How can I help others see what's possible themselves? How can I help others create the life that they want instead of the life they think they're supposed to? And that's the beauty of what we do. That's the, that's the incredible opportunity we have is because when we do this, when we create something, mm-hmm. it can change every day, every week as we're learning. You know, you write a book. Once the book's out there, it's out there. It's mm-hmm. in print. It's done. You can't necessarily change it, you know, every day if you want to. Mm-hmm. Whereas what we do is so very dynamic. It's so very fluid. I don't have a formula. I don't have a, a – I have nothing. I, you know, I literally sometimes like – I feel like talking about the boardwalk this week, and we talk about the boardwalk. Everybody's like, oh, so how far out do you plan your shows and the news? I'm like, I don't know, a half hour, a day? And I, I do my research. I put a lot of time into my show, but there is no – because it's, it is – I'm like, oh, people are very interested in this. This is what's coming up. Mm-hmm. People like this. They don't like this. You get this immediate feedback, whether it's e- email or – chat room, whatever it may be, uh, and you're able to adjust to the audience, those kind of things just never existed earlier. So that's why, again, you've got to be on top of it. You've got to hustle and um, you've got to be able to always change. It's not about failure. It's about opportunity. Well, and the word that comes up to me as you're speaking is adaptable. You have to be adaptable. Yeah. Not and, since- I think you, and I think you also need to be, you need to also realize that you need to always step outside your comfort zone. You always need to challenge yourself every day. And for me, I think one of the keys has always been and continues to be, you need to create content in the way that people are most comfortable consuming it, right? So I wrote a book. That wasn't enough. I started writing online. Then I started to do audio. Then I was doing video. So I I create content in all these different ways because you know what? It's 2013. My mom still, if I told my mother to go and download my podcast and play it in her car, (laughs) her brains would fall out of her head, Right. But I used to, uh, I recently sold off, um, I had a print magazine as well, too, about Disney. And the idea was, it was like, print magazine? It's 2012. What are you doing? Because you know what? Anybody can consume a print magazine. Mm-hmm. A five-year-old kid can pick it up and look at those pictures. His 80-year-old grandmother can pick it up with no worries about technology and, and that kind of stuff. So I create books, CDs, video, live, you know, in-person events. And that's what I think that people need to do. If you're a blogger, you need to podcast. If you're a podcaster, you need to make video. You need to create products. You need to create consumable stuff. You always need to be expanding and adapting. Okay, Lou, but we talked about this before off air. There's that hair and makeup component for us women. (laughs) (laughs) I love being on radio because I can go in with my hat or my hair in a bud, my yoga clothes on, you know, I, it's so com- and and part of me sometimes goes, well, I guess I could just show up totally authentically because that's how I am that's around it. town, yep. right? And that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's who people you see me. Who, right. You be who you are. I look, people very much get what, you know, I am who I am. Um I, I make sure I shower before my live video broadcast. <laughs> maybe I'll shave, maybe I won't, but this is who I am. And if you're if you are very genuine, that's what I was talking about. People want to be your like they look at you now that you're their friend. Mm -hmm. Because that's how you're talking to them. And if they see you being genuine, I think that really reinforces that. So throw on your hat and yoga pants and turn on your (laughs) flip cam or your, you know, eyesight camera and just do it. Okay. You're nudging me along. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a slow adapter too. (laughs) But I'm considering. I am definitely considering it. 
Um, I do want to go back to something, though, that we touched on earlier, because I, I feel like we can go a little bit more in depth. When you talked about those scary moments of, you know, when you made that leap, how did you not let that, that fear paralyze you and use it instead to help motivate you? Fear begets fear, right? Because mm -hmm. if you become fearful and you become paralyzed, you're going to sink and you can't. You need to be treading water at all times because once you start to uh, question yourself and question, am I doing the right thing? Um, once that self-doubt comes in, I think it makes it, it's, it's very circuitous and it sort of, um, it feeds on itself. You have to really believe in yourself. I think you need a good support system of people that believe in you as well too will help. Sometimes people need a little bit of a, a fire under the machine to help keep mm -hmm. them going and say, hey, come on, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to do this together. Um, I, I don't think that fear ever goes away, right? I still have that fear, fear every day because you have to make sure that, that money is still coming in, that things are still being covered, um, that you're not just thinking about tomorrow, but you're thinking about next week, next month, the next five years. Uh, I think fear sometimes is is a good thing. Fear is a good motivator, right? Like deadlines. I tell people all the time, create fake <laughs> deadlines. Because I, I guarantee the reason why my last CD is still not out yet is because I never gave myself a deadline. Once I give myself a deadline, I'm going to like kill myself to like four o'clock in the morning getting it done. Um, because you need that, you need that little bit of a, of a motivator. So uh, I don't think fear necessarily is a bad thing, but don't let it consume you. And, and I know that's really, really hard to do. And if it means, you know, surrounding yourself by like-minded people or, you know, mastermind groups or, or even people you meet online, go to conferences, right? That's where we met. Go to mm -hmm. places like New Media Expo. You'll meet people who very much are in the same uh, boat as you and, and sort of help you through those things along the way. So who's your support team? Um, well, I work out of my house. So right now it's my cat. Um, mm -hmm. but he's, he really gives no creative input whatsoever. So he's good for nothing. <laughs> well, who's your support team when it comes to the fear? Um, my kids. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean like, uh, daddy, I want a new Skylander. Although I get that every day, but, <laughs> uh, my look as busy as I am, family is always first. Mm -hmm. uh, I put my family first. Um, my wife is the fire under my machine. I, she is the one who, and I was like, uh, hello, I need a new coach bag. It's, no, she may, she is so supportive in making sure that if there's something I want to do, she's like, I got this. I got the kids. I'm going to give you a quick example. Very, very quick story. Uh, when we moved to Florida, we originally moved to Naples because my, uh, my, my family was down there after my dad passed away. I'm like, look, I've got to be up to Orlando. I literally, I I signed a lease on Wednesday. We packed on Thursday. We moved out on Friday. We moved, moved in on Saturday. Saturday night, I said, listen, uh, finish putting the house away, hang all the stuff on the walls, get a job, get the kids in school, stock the fridge, because tomorrow morning I have to go out to California for 10 days with another woman who's actually my travel partner. Who was a right? She goes, you know what? I got this. Don't worry about it. I came home. I'm like, oh, house looks good. Kids are in school. You got a job. Everything looks good because I have to go back to Hawaii with her for seven days to do live broadcast to cover the opening of Disney Alani. She's like, you know what? I got this. Mm -hmm. um, but to answer your question, that, that the thing that, that drives me is not just um, being thankful to her, but you know, you look at your kids, you know, like I want to have, you always want to have a better life for your kids mm -hmm. than you've had. And I've had an, I look, if I was to, if I was to drop dead in the middle of this interview, which would be awesome for you, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, my family could know I led a really, really good life. 
but I want them to have even better. Like I want them to be happy. I want them to, to want for nothing. And I want them to sort of pick up a little bit of the entrepreneurial spirit, hopefully, that I had gotten from my parents. Mm-hmm. No, that's incredible. And Oh, the, and the American Express. That also is my biggest, because the bill comes every day. <laughs> <laughs> my kids and American Express, the biggest motivators. Um, that, you know, and I'm, I'm so glad that you recognize your wife because to have that kind of a partnership, right, where it's like to, for your wife to trust you, right? Here you are traveling off with this other woman. And, and let me be clear. She's, she's, I have a travel partner. She's a, a travel provider. We're business partners. She's a mm-hmm. sponsor. So we were trying, it's not like, oh, he just lets her go out with these other women. This Disney thing's pretty cool. So no. <laughs> no, and I understand. That. I mean, my husband's a swim coach. And um, in 2003, 2004, he was, he was a pri- he, he coaches at a university, but he wound up picking up a postgrad, someone who graduated from college. And, you know, they were traveling all over the place in the country because she was trying to make the Olympic team, which she did. And, um, you know, but there has to be that, that, okay, I got this, you're going to be gone, but I can take care of everything else. And, um, and I think I've become a much better wife in that sense, because in 2012, he had another Olympian. And I really, I think, understood that more of what it was to be a private coach. And I was like, okay, I got this. You need to go to Europe and be with your athlete, right? Who, by and- the way, is wearing a bathing suit? Like, let me, my, <laughs> job, my job partner wasn't wearing a bathing suit at all times. So, well, good for you. <laughs> this time, this time it was a guy, but you still have, you know, the the Olympic team that they were all around. And right. and uh, one one of the gold medalists saw my husband running in France and was like, oh, you're a really good little runner, or you're a really good runner, right? And uh, um, and so, anyways, but. Yeah. And, and I remember somebody saying to me, oh, you know, Pete really owes you for you taking care of everything all summer. And I said, oh, no, that's not the deal. Right. I got this and he's going and and I understand, you know, he, I, I'm the one that kind of kicked him out the door because I really felt that his athlete needed him there. And that's awesome because not everybody's like you. No, but but I've learned, but I've had a lot of practice. Up, you know, this wasn't in 2004. I don't think I was as good as I was in 2012. Right. So I learned a little bit from that process. It became building blocks. I didn't know it was going to happen again in 2012. But when 2012 came around, I was much better because I knew what what was needed and what was necessary. And go do this. I got it. Right. And there's no expectation of reciprocity. You're not like, well, you go do this and I'm going to Vegas with my girlfriends. Yeah. No. Right. 2004, there was more of that. Like, okay, it's now my (laughs) turn. Right. I realized that doesn't lead to a happy marriage. (laughs) So I got better. But the, and that's that team. And I think a lot about that. I mean, partly because of my background in swimming, but having a team, you know, there's there's nobody, you know, even like in the Olympics. And my listeners heard me say this is that you don't make the Olympic swim team by yourself. Right. You have a coach. You have a team. You have there's so many people. There's family members. You know, there's there's a whole bunch of people. And, and I think with this idea of solo entrepreneur, you know, people think, oh, you're all by yourself, but you still have a team. And whether it's the friend who, when you're sitting there in fear going, holy moly, or, you know, it's your kids who give you some motivation because you want to provide a better life for them, or it's your spouse who says, you know what, I, be- I believe in you. This doesn't make sense. I can't really see what you're seeing, but I have your back, right? Um, I think that's so important is to have a team. And um, I agree. Yeah. So, and, uh, and, and, and cause though th- there are hard days, I think being a solopreneur and, and knowing that you have people again, where you belong, right. Where you're safe, just like you create the safe space for people to fly their freak flag and really love to be a part of Disney. You have that safe place to say, look, I want to create something and I don't really know how it's all going to work. I don't have the perfect plan. 
right. and, and we're going to stumble along. And I think as a as a soul, you know, for the most part, like you, this is this is my thing. This, mm-hmm. I, it's me. There is a there's a huge sense of loneliness um, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of people don't realize that ninety seven percent of my job takes place at my desk. Mm-hmm. I, I, people think, oh, I'm just frolicking around the parks all day, eating popcorn and, and riding rides. That's not what my business is. My business takes place here. So it's very lonely. And you do very much miss out on the creative interaction. Just somebody to talk about an idea, bounce stuff off of, right on a whiteboard or, or wherever it may be. So I, I think there is a, a huge value in team. And if people say, well, it's just me. Where do I, how do I assemble this team? You look within, right? You look either to your existing friend set and not maybe, look, maybe my closest friends back at home in New Jersey weren't Disney fans, but look to your community, right? Look to the people who are in the clubhouse because I guarantee they would love to help you. They would love to share ideas. They would love to help any way they can. And then you'll find people in that tribe who have the desire, who have the passion, who have the interest, and you grow it that way. And I also believe you need to surround yourself by people who are smarter than you. Mm-hmm. always, um, to really help push you and help, to help you get better. I totally agree with that. And it, and they can be smarter in different areas, but just to have people that are smarter than kids and it opens up your mindset some more. Yeah. Are you part of a mastermind group? Because you had mentioned mastermind. Uh, I'm not. Um, it's one of those things that I've been thinking about a lot um, in terms of being part of one or forming one because I think it is really valuable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just haven't... Uh, I haven't been a part of one yet. It's me. It's right now. The mastermind group is me and the cat. <laughs> well, again, that's and a... all he's doing is licking himself. So <laughs> he's got nothing. <laughs> that's just another thing that you have to carve out time for, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Do you well, ever? That's good because I think you need people to take you to task too, right? Because not everybody can say, "I'm going to get this done on Friday." I, this mm-hmm. is my deadline. You need somebody to be like, "Hey, last week you said you're going to get this done. Let's go. Where is it?" Mm-hmm. Where's your outline? Where's your, you know, the basis for your next project? So I, I think it's really helpful. Even if it's one person, get somebody to, to light that fire and to, and to, you know, take you to task. Well, and I think sometimes that can't be like if my spouse were to try to take me to task, I would get pretty mad at him because I don't want him to tell me what to do. So I have <laughs> to have other people that do that, right? <laughs> right. It's like, oh, you need this. And I have some people in like that in my life who constantly like, Corinne, you have to have this done. Because like you, you know, prior to having my radio show, I've always loved, you know, personal development, human behavior change books. That's just always been my thing. And I would go and I'd go to the bookstore and I'd buy them. And it'd be, I grew, had this really big stack next to my bed. But I'd rarely read them or I'd read a little bit. Well, now you, you can bet I will have that book read before I have a guest on my show. Right. Right. There is a deadline. And because and I am a deadline oriented person and having that, you know, I, even though I'm self-driven, having having certain kind of parameters is very helpful for me to get stuff done. And that's how I do it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's very valuable because it is very hard to do and you can make excuses. Oh, I was too busy. I couldn't get this done. And, and I don't think it should be your wife, you know, unless maybe you're in <laughs> business together or, or your husband, um, because it's 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 a different kind of thing, because I tell people who you know, want to help and who are helping me, I'm like, be brutally honest with me. Don't ever mm-hmm. lie to me. And if you're like, hey, you're doing this wrong, don't say, oh, we're friends. I got, you tell me you're doing it wrong. You mm-hmm. need to do this. Um, and, and I understand that it, it's, it's constructive and not destructive. Mm-hmm. Lou, thanks so much. Before we go, um, do you have a couple of takeaways for the listeners today? <sighs> uh, you know, there, there's so many because I understand it. it's overwhelming. 
right? Mm -hmm. I, I get that it's overwhelming. You've got this idea, you've got this blog, you've got, I think number one, um, you need to set your, you need to set realistic expectation levels. And mm -hmm. we said earlier, do what you love and the money will come. Um, you know, my personal journey was not a very short one. It, it's continuing on right now, but it took a really, really long time. And it, like you said before, it's work, right? Mm -hmm. It's real work. Uh, and for the most part, it is going to be all you. And you need to sort of be willing to and make that commitment to investing the time and the resources and the energy and sacrifice. There's a lot of sacrifice involved in trying to do what you love every day, but you also have to believe that it's going to be worth it. Um, I think that's really important. I think the idea of community is also important in terms of growing your audience and making your audience feel as though and treating them as your friend. Um, don't worry about selling all the time. Treat them as your friend because that's how they look at you. Um, and try and get more sleep than I do. <laughs> Sleep's important. <laughs> Sleep's important. But you know something? Learn something. Learn. Just keep learning. Like just keep being hunger, hungry to, to learn and grow and develop and change and adapt. That's great. Well, Lou, thank you so much for being a guest today. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. This was awesome. And, and I, one of my greatest takeaways from New Media Expo was meeting you. So, so thank you so much. Well, thank you, Lou. That means a lot. <laughs> Thanks for joining us at How She Really Does It. Each week, I try to bring inspiration, empowerment, and entertainment for you. Each show has a takeaway, something you can implement to take those steps forward in your own journey. I'd love to hear from you. You can connect with me at my website at www.howshereallydoesit.com and sign up for my weekly newsletter to get insider information as well as each podcast delivered directly into your inbox. Have a great day and I'm smiling big for you. Early morning, fog is lifting. She's in a rowboat on a lake. She is dreaming. She is drifting, never been so wide awake.